garage and hope no gardens. Do all the things you wanted to do all summer, all day, all night. Winter, spring, summer, fall. Call 1-800-441-4410 for reservations at Pocono Gardens and beautiful Mount Airy Lodge. Hello and welcome to FW Presents, the anthology show for the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Kelly, and this is the season three debut of Mountain Comics, the show where I look back at the comic books I bought while on vacation in the Pocono Mountains of Pennsylvania in the 1970s and 80s. And joining me in the cabin this week is... You know, someone you've heard across the network many, many times on many, many different shows. You know him. You love him. Some of you like him. Some of you just merely tolerate him. <laughs> the, the, the art tell artist, Jared Albrecht. Hi, Jared. It's a uh, it's, it's, um, sale artist. Yard sale artist. What did I say? No, I was trying to be like James Bond. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm like, wait, did I screw up the intro? I didn't think that I did. I, okay. I was being a smart ass for a change of pace. <laughs> No, man, it's cool to be here. Um, I, you know, whether you know it or not, Mountain Comics is always interesting to me because it, it taps into that that psyche of where you were and when you found them. And we all had those, like, places we'd go on vacation. And for some reason, we all remember those comics that were with us on those trips. So I think it's a great concept for a show, and I'm just happy to be here. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Did you have a particular vacation spot that you would that uh, your family would frequent and you would get comics at? You know, it, it varied a lot being the son of an army uh, soldier. Oh, of course, we sure, moved sure. a lot, but I do remember uh, certain certain places we'd go more frequently than others because my dad was in army aviation, which means we end up in southern Alabama a lot because that's where Fort Rucker is, where they do all the helicopter training. And so we would go down to the – we're about 90 minutes away from the coast of Florida. So we'd go down to the bay a lot, and I can distinctly remember some comics that went down to those cabins on the bay. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, it's uh, it's always so very exciting. And this comic in particular, the one we're here to talk about, this is the reason why I have Jared on, is because uh, the book here is For Your Eyes Only, number two, the second of a two-issue miniseries uh, of Marvel Comics adapting the 1981 James Bond film. And, of course, I know, Jared, you are a monster fan of James Bond movies. Um, did so. you have this comic book at any point, this series? or uh, Well, we'll talk about the different formats, but did you have this as a kid? Yes, I did. I had. It's funny. I think every kid had number two. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. It wasn't just me then. All right. They actually printed number one. Because I'm going to be honest with you, I've never owned a copy, as far as I can remember, of number one. Just like you, I only had number two. But what I did own was the Marvel Premiere Magazine format, which collects right. both of them, and that's what I'll be using to reference for today's show. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this was really like a lot of uh, Marvel Comics adaptations at the time. This was multi-purpose uh, release. It was done as a two-issue miniseries, as Jared just said. I never saw the first issue. Uh, I mean, I know, I know I it exists. It, it does exist. I've seen it, but I mean, I've never, I never saw it. And, uh, and then, of course, it said it was, it was released as a Marvel Super Special. Now, the miniseries came out. This issue came out on August eleventh, nineteen eighty-one. The, the movie, for your eyes only came out in June of 1981, so they really kind of missed the window, I would say, because, although back then, movies played a lot longer, so it's entirely possible that For Your Eyes Only, which was a big hit, um, was maybe still playing, maybe by July, when the first issue would have come out, so I guess maybe they didn't miss it uh, too terribly much. And so, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about the movie itself, because that that deserves its own film and water podcast. Um, but I do want to ask just briefly, like, what are your thoughts generally, Jared, as a Bond expert? Uh, what are your thoughts on For Your Eyes Only? 
Oh, okay. So let's just go ahead and, and use this for both your both your programs because I probably won't be able to <laughs> shut up about the movie. Uh, I'll put it in a nutshell for you. There are currently 24, almost 25 official James Bond movies in my rank order of them, 1 through 25. I have what's called the top four. And the top four can can just flip and rotate and kind sure. of move around depending on the way the wind blows, and this one's in my top four. This is one of my very favorite Bond movies. This is the pinnacle of Roger Moore, and I'm really glad that it got a really nice treatment by some really cool creators that you've heard of, but I'll let you go into that in a little bit. Yeah, I, this uh, For Your Eyes Only is my favorite Bond movie. It is straight up my favorite Bond movie. It is not the first Bond movie I ever saw. That would have been Moonraker uh, that my, my dad took me to when I was a kid. But I saw this one, and I don't know. There's something about between the, the Sheena Easton opening mm-hmm. theme, which is just to me is like a, a joy button. Every time I hear that that song, I just get all giddy. I'm like, oh, I love that song so much. I I mean, everyone talks about, of course, in the history of James Bond, about, oh, how Casino Royale was the gritty reboot, you know, after how kind ah. of, how, how excessive the, the <laughs> Pierce Brosnan movies got. But, of course, anybody that has seen the Bond movies in, in total knows that they kind of – they did a gritty reboots a couple of times. Yep. And yep. This, this is the ultimate gritty reboot because, of course, previously Bond went into outer freaking space. <laughs> yes. We went from a Star Wars movie to like – I don't know, almost like a Jason Bourne movie. Yeah, I mean, this one is really stripped down. There's very few gadgets. It's like a John Le Carre novel uh, in a lot of ways. It's just very straightforward, and it, to me, it's the pinnacle of Roger Moore at his most charming. He's my favorite Bond. I mean, it, it, your favorite Bond tends to be the first Bond you saw. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think for most people, um, but but I just I love Roger Moore as James Bond. I like. He's got the combo of kind of he's he's the more he's um, he's nicer he's the nicer Bond than than Connery, but he has a few moments here where he's where he's got some edge to him, mm-hmm. and I really like that. I, and I, as I mentioned, I love the theme song. I love Carol Bouquet as mm-hmm. the, the the lead. I think she's a great Bond girl. So I I this movie just makes me happy. Mm, you know, I'm it, right there with you. Yeah, it's the kind of movie that when I even though. Uh, I could watch it whenever I want. If I happen to see it when it shows up on Netflix or Hulu, I just pop it on again because it just it just makes 100%. me so happy to see. So um, you're a li- you're just a skosh older than me. I remember seeing this movie a ton when it was on HBO. I didn't catch mm-hmm. this one in the theater. I caught the next one in the theater. But this was on HBO like somehow every 45 minutes, even though it's like over a two hour movie. It was on every 45 minutes, and I watched <laughs> it all the time. Seems to defy some sort of science. It did. I science don't know how that works. <laughs> and then, you know, for for people that are too young to remember, uh, part of the reason this was so exciting, this comic book, and I bought this at. I remember the newsstand that I got it at. Uh, I that was one of the frequent uh, places that I the, that I, one of the haunts that I frequented up there. And I remember this book being on sale. That store is still there, by the way. It doesn't sell comics anymore, but it does still exist. And I remember. Walking in and seeing this and being so excited because, of course, uh, in a age just before cable and certainly in an age before home video, other than when a movie uh, made its way to television, once mm-hmm. a movie left the theaters, you never saw it again. That was it. It was over. You know, hundred percent. Yep. And so these comic book adaptations were your only physical, tangible piece of evidence of how much you love this movie. You know, you get, I mean, it's not the movie, but it's close. And I just remember seeing this book and being like, oh, I was, because as you mentioned, number one doesn't exist. So I didn't know. 
that you know what I mean. So here it was. I mean, so even though it's number two, I didn't care. I was I grabbed it, and it was like for the for the relatively meager amount of money I had to spend, there was no way I wasn't dropping the two quarters for this book because it was just it was so thrilling that this book existed. And strangely enough, this is the first comic book adaptation of a James Bond movie since Doctor No. They skipped wow. all those movies. You're right. I hadn't nuts. thought of that, but you're 100% right. <laughs> Completely crazy. Everybody knows, I think, that at this point, the story that DC had the rights to James Bond all the way up up, up until Live and Let Die, and they never bothered to act on it. Which <laughs> That's is, um, just throwing money down the drain. I, I mean, you're just like, didn't anybody know how to read a contract back then? It was like they literally <laughs> opened a file cabin. And they're like, huh, look at this. We have the rights to make Thunderball if we wanted to. Nah, pay. kids don't like guns and, and hot girls. They, they don't like that. Let's scuba diving. Bah. Yeah, that it is. That is the, the craziest thing. So it's sort of funny that, of course, by the time some comic book company decides to adapt a movie, they decide to adapt the most stripped down and non comic booky movie in the Bond franchise, which is Free Rise Only. That is a there is a bit of humor in there. That is for sure. My not friend. Moonraker, not the Spy Who Loved Me. You could at least mm-hmm. have Jaws running around, chopping right. things. Right. No, they picked this one. So I, you know, <laughs> I, I would love to know the reasoning for that. But I'm just, I'm just grateful that it exists. So. Heck yes, heck yes. So anyway, so the adaptation is by Larry Hama, the great Larry Hama, Howard mm-hmm. Howard Chaikin, and unfortunately Vince Coletta. But we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, the cover features Bond and Melina as they're rappelling down a cliff and there's some guns and it says a shattering conclusion you will never forget. And she's got her crossbow and he's looking at her concerned. So what do you think of this cover? <laughs> um, I remember we, we once covered this comic a couple years ago on other podcasts I do, but I remember thinking Bond looks very aloof. <laughs> he does look <laughs> relatively uninterested in what he's going very on. chill. He's just like, eh, whatever happens, happens. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, I find the cover to be interesting and unique, too, because I think my suspicion is this was always planned to be the premier magazine, and they just broke it up yeah. for the comic. So it was kind of like the the issue one cover, which doesn't exist, um, is, <laughs> is really, really cool and engaging. And the second one is like, we need to crank out a quick cover. But having said that, I don't want to slight the art team one bit. They did a fine job, but it's kind of a crank out cover at the end of the day. It's very, very simple. I mean, again, yes. this is – I hate to keep – you know, we everybody tends to pick on Vince Coletta because they know his reputation. But you can see – it's hard to see a lot of Howard Chaikin here. Uh, the the, de- the background has been reduced in terms of detail to almost nothing. I mean, almost there's, nothing. The, there's an ocean and it's just blue. It's just a blue line on the horizon and it's – we all know that, that a lot of this stuff was kind of cranked out, and, and when it was given to Vince Coletta, it was like, we need this done by Monday. Can you get it done? Yeah. Um, what I do love, just as kind of like an extra-level nerdiness, I love that they bothered to make a special James Bond corner box symbol. Yes, and, <laughs> and a good one, too. Yeah. He's like, he's all posed, and he's kind of crunched down, and he's got his Walter PPK. Like, I yeah. love that in the in the annals of Marvel corner boxes, James Bond is there. He's along with yeah. Spider-Man and the X-Men. He gets one. I love that. We used him twice, yep. but dang if it didn't look good. Yeah, it looks great. So I love, I love there, There's a stat of that somewhere. It's a Marvel office that they could use and still have that. It's great. So, um, oh, while, while we're talking about the cover, too, we should mention that, yes, you dropped 50 cents on this. Yes. Because you wanted the story, you knew James Bond, and it got a shot at a 10-speed bike. 
No, but much like how number one doesn't exist, nobody ever won that bike. It's a total scam. Did you ever know any kid that ran won the damn Formula 10 no. racer? No. Anybody no. listening to the show, by all means, write in, <laughs> in the comments. Let us know. You even heard of anybody winning that <laughs> yeah. damn 10-speed. Yeah, I, I guarantee. Or, or if the kid that did, it's like the son of somebody. You know, you're like, oh, look at this. A little Timmy shooter. Hmm, this is awfully suspicious. I just had this middle image of, like, Stan Lee just trucking around New York City on a 10-speed, like, suckers! <laughs> Excelsior! Like, all right, great, all right, that's fine. Yeah, I, those, those things drove me nuts, because I, I I didn't even bother to enter. I'm never going to win these things, so. And they took up a hefty amount of cover space. I know! They gave up so much cover space to these dumb things, like, oh, my God, so. Yeah, yeah, but and it, it, I like the logo too. It's a little dossier, and it's a, just yeah. James Bond for your eyes only, and the kind of stencil lettering. So, you know, it's really yeah, pretty sharp for for how much, as you said, they probably had to kind of bang this out. So, um, so then the opening splash page, we're in the, the middle of the story, and it's got James Bond as he's about to be attacked by these hockey players that are initially he thinks it's just some Olympic athletes training. Uh, and then we find out, of course, they're, they're paid assassins. So that's where the story starts off. And it says, W07 fends off the attempt on his life by the killer hockey players and discovers Ferrara is dead in his car with a dove pin in his hand. Bond then travels to Corfu in pursuit of Columbo. Now, of course, if you haven't read First Issue, you'll know any of these names. There at a casino, Bond meets Christatos and asks about how to meet Columbo. After Columbo and his mistress, Countess Liesel von Schlaff, argue, Bond offers to escort her home. The two then spend the night together. In, a, in the morning, Liesel and Bond are ambushed on the beach by Locke, and Liesel is killed. Bond is captured by Columbo's men before Locke can kill him. Columbo then tells Bond that Locke was actually hired by Christatus, you following all this, who was working for the KGB <laughs> to retrieve the ATAC. Bond accompanies Columbo on his crew on a raid of one of Christatus' opium processing warehouses in Albania, where Bond uncovers crates of Russian-built rocket launchers. After facility is destroyed, Bond chases Locke and kills him. Afterwards, Bond meets up with Melina, and they recover the ATAC from the wreckage of the St. George, but Christados is waiting for them when they surface. After the two escape, being dragged through the water across Sharp Coral, they discover Christados' rendezvous point when Melina's parrot repeats the phrase, ATAC to St. Cyril's. With the help of Columbo and his men, Bond and Melina break into St. Cyril's and abandon Mountaintop Monastery. As Columbo confronts Christados, Bond kills Kriegler. Bond retrieves the ATAC system and stops Molina from killing Christados after he surrenders. Christados tries to kill Bond with a hidden flick knife, but then is killed by himself by a knife thrown by Columbo. The Russians arrive by helicopter to collect the ATAC, but Bond destroys it by throwing it off the cliff. Bond and Molina later spend a romantic evening aboard her father's yacht when he receives a call from the Prime Minister. So, that is the second half of Your Eyes Only. So, Jared, I need to ask you two questions. One, what do you, how do you think this works as a, as a comic book? And how do you think it works, of course, as an adaptation of the second half of the film? Uh, as a comic book, it is hard, I think, you know, just removing myself from all of it. I think it's hard to jump on board with number two. Right. If you haven't seen the movie or if you don't have number one, which you don't because it doesn't exist. <laughs> um, although I do remember, again, I'm using the, the, the Premier Magazine for the show, so I don't have the number two in front of me. I do remember it has a recap page, like you mentioned. So that helps. Right. Um, but as an adaptation of the film, I think it does a really good job because for your eyes only in and of itself, I mean, listen to your recap. It was like breakneck speed. Anybody who was able to keep up with that, who's not familiar with the movie, the comic deserves an award. Hmm. Um, it, but the movie's breakneck speed. The movie moves from piece to piece to piece, like lightning. Um, so 
I think it really captures the essence of the movie really well. Um, what do you think, man? Yeah, I mean, the, this this movie is relatively dry in terms of the big set pieces, and it's sort of funny in that one of the, the movie, the the comic book adaptation, kind of sidelines a lot of the big action set pieces. Um, the scene where Bond and Milena are strung up and are dragged dragged behind the boat, and they're mm-hmm. you know, meant to be killed. That is a big chunk of the movie. Like that's a good. I think five minute set piece and it's a major action sequence because they run across the coral and they, they start to mm. bleed and they get chased by all these sharks. And in the comic book, it's one page. It's mm. not, not even one page. And it's funny. I mean, they, you go back a couple pages earlier and there's like this long sequence with Christados uh, mm-hmm. talking to bond in the, on the yacht. And you're like, well, that's just two guys talking. And you, you probably could have dropped all that or, or at the very least really reduced it down to a panel or two and you could have given more space to the action set pieces. So that seems a little strange to me that just pacing-wise they would choose to to cut out that big moment. Now, they, I will say there is the sequence where Bond and Molina get in their scuba suits and go down into the sub to retrieve the ATAC and that's a big uh, sequence and that's actually pretty well done because it's all underwater and it's all dark and heavy but it it just feels like a weird way to like I, when I when I read this comic again I almost forgot that that set piece is in the movie about them being dragged by the coral I'm like wait where's that oh there it is like wow <laughs> oh, there it is. it's, it's like, like five panels. panels that's it yeah, <laughs> yeah I got exactly. rid of it so it's a little strange um, but nevertheless I mean I think they do as good a job as possible um, it's interesting that the one moment in the movie that is probably the most famous is where uh, the, uh, the 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 goon is on the uh, his part is uh, he's got he's got his car and it's it's on the edge of the cliff and mm-hmm. it's teetering and Bond is there and Bond tosses the dove pin into it and then in the movie Bond kicks the guy off the cliff like the the car is like and Bond straight up kills the guy by kicking him off and apparently Roger Moore had concerns about that he thought that was mm-hmm. a little too cold blooded. Uh, but that's what I like that. I like that it's kind of an edgier moment for the Roger Moore version of James Bond. And in the comic book, there's a panel where he says uh, he tosses the dove pin and he says, I thought you might want it back, seeing as you're leaving. And then the car falls. But you, the way it's drawn, you can't, you tell. can't quite tell that Bond is doing it on purpose. It, it looks like he is, but you don't know. And I almost wonder if they didn't you know, kind of downplay it a little just because they, maybe they figured it was younger kids reading this or something. I'm not sure. Uh, perhaps, but yeah, they're, they're, he's definitely being very casual about it in, in the yeah. comic and in the movie. He straight up thunks that car with his foot with a nice hefty kick. And, yep, yep. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm with you. Moore hated it, but I think it's one of his best moments as Bond because, I mean, Bond's an assassin. He kills people. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay, Roger. It's okay. Yeah, that's all right. We understand. You're a ladies' man. He was more of a ladies' man than he was a killer, and we understand that. I mean, you know, Roger Moore bedded down some of the – most beautiful women in the history of cinema. <laughs> it's okay to kill a guy once in a while. It's all right. Uh, it's okay, James. <laughs> I do. I do love the moment, of course, because in a movie you don't have to have dialogue for some action sequences because you can just carry the moment. But in the comic book, they have to give some some dialogue to some things. And there's this great moment where uh, Bond is there on the cliff, and he's uh, gets uh, one of these guys, uh, one of the goons, gets the drop on him, and. Bond throws the little – it's like a, a piton, I think it's called. Mm-hmm, it's that's that correct. spike that you pick and you stick in the – and he throws it up and it jams itself into the neck of the bad guy. And that moment doesn't exactly happen in the movie the way they put it out here. And here it's a big juicy close-up of where Bond says uh, – the guy says, uh, shame, someone here to, to kick out your last, your last one. And Bond says, oh, that's all right. 
I have another. And you see it go thunk, and then the guy falls. And I love that moment. And even I was a kid. I remember being like, ooh, he just stabbed that guy with that. He threw that pizza on hard enough to stab the guy in the face. That's pretty bad. <laughs> I know. I same way. This this image because, like you said, we didn't have. I mean, we didn't even have VHS at this point. So reading the comic over and over, that's how I thought it happened in the movie. And then once I revisited the movie, I was like, oh, it was actually kind of cooler in the comic book than it was in the movie. <laughs> right. But absolutely, yeah. That's uh, that's some good stuff. Yeah, I like it. Um, the uh, again, you know, it's Vince Coletta, and he really does. I I. I it, he, uh, I really have a hard time seeing Howard Chaykin in this at all, really. Uh, I think this is kind of I, – I think he was probably just doing it as kind of like I just need a gig. And apparently this was his final work for DC Comics uh, – excuse me, for Marvel Comics for many, many years because he had a fallout with Jim Shooter uh, right around this. And, I mean, you know, I don't know. If I'm Howard Chaykin and they hand my pencils over to Vince Coletta, I, you know, maybe I'd be mad about that too. It's like, geez, guys, you just, just took all the – kind of really nice stuff and he just reduced it down to almost coloring book level but you know I, maybe he didn't care either maybe there was a, it was an unrelated problem or something <laughs> i will say this though I, I find this interesting to do this in comics every once in a while if you go to the page it's very exposition heavy with christados and james discussing first of all there's a really good rendering of uh of, uh, I'm sorry, not not Christos, Columbo. I got confused in my own damn movie. Right. Uh, <laughs> Columbo and James are talking on the boat. Uh, there's really good facial drawings of Columbo uh, in about mid-page. And yes. then the bot last panel is a really good facial drawing of Roger Moore. Those are excellent. Um, but what I, what I find interesting is the technique of making James Bond's shirt is nothing more than ink lines. There's no outline to it. Mm. And it requires the colorist to basically form the ultimate form of the shirt right right and i right. see that you don't see that a ton in comics but it always fascinates me maybe it's just me and i'm wasting airtime on your show but i always think that's interesting when the colorist gets to be part of the form of the art i didn't really notice that but you're right yeah it's interesting like he's got some very thick sweater on and yeah it's it's sort of funny that the the likenesses tend to veer in and out i mean that second mm -hmm. panel third panel is absolutely meant to be topo it's yes. meant to be what it looks like. And there's some panels where it looks like Roger Moore, some panels where it doesn't. But, but, and I know that back then they had to get likeness rights. Like that, I think they still do today, obviously, but I think actors are much more um, amenable to that and are almost like it's built into the system. Like, well, you know, there's going to be toys and, you know, it's, it's got to look like you. And, oh, okay, that's fine. Back then, I think it was sort of a special thing. So I wonder, like, did they have to go to Topol for that or not? Or they didn't worry about it? Um, there's a panel on page two where after Bond takes out the hockey players and there's this little panel and he just goes, snow job. And it is exactly Roger Moore. I mean, it's spitting image of Roger Moore. And so they could use it occasionally here and there. Uh, it doesn't look like uh, – Melina doesn't look like Carol Bouquet at all um, other than just in really the sort of broad strokes, but that's okay. I always – I don't know about you, Jared. I always found Carol Bouquet to be like one of the sexiest Bond girls. There's just oh. – there's something so beautifully like kind of ice queeny about her because mm -hmm. she's out for revenge, mm -hmm. and maybe that reveals something about my personal taste. <laughs> we shouldn't we shouldn't get into, but I don't know. There's just I I love her as James Bond, as uh, as Melina as James Bond's girlfriend in this. I just think she's great. And there's you know Vince Coletta inking again reduces a lot of things. We all know Howard Chaykin could draw sexy women, uh, but like there's a panel. I don't even know what page it is, but it's the, the it's after they rescue after they get the uh, the ATAC 
and they come up aboard and there's the shot and it's panel three and he's Melina says, Whew, I thought they'd never leave. And she just has like his tiniest little black bikini bottom on. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. at, at 10 years old, I was like, ah, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like this. All of a sudden, Vince Coletta, he's all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I agree. I think she's, she's very sexy. And one of the things like you said <laughs> into your character, she's, she doesn't necessarily need James. She's no. on her own no. mission. Yes. And what's yes. great about this comic and the movie in general, I know we're getting kind of into the movie here, but um, her and James don't actually become lovers until they're till the end when everything's right. done. It's very common for James to to you know bed the woman earlier, but I thought it spoke to her character that there were several moments where they could, but they were both so mission focused that they didn't. And I thought that spoke well of her and of James uh, in this film. So, you know, yeah. little. Tiny bits of progressivism in 1981. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I mean, yeah, she's on a whole separate mission of revenge, and there's that great line in the movie about, you know, where he says, uh, "If you, the Chinese have a have a saying. It's not in this comic. It's in the, it's in the first issue, which, as you say, doesn't exist. Doesn't where exist. he says, uh, you know, when the Chinese proverb is, you set out for revenge, dig two graves, mm-hmm. uh, which I love. Now, of course, the other scene that they cut entirely, probably because of the comics code, is when Bond seduces Liesel. Uh, we see them in the cab together. I love in the <laughs> love in the bottom panel of the page when they're in the cab together. They look like they're in like a Cadillac Escalade. Like they're in the biggest car. <laughs> you could you could fit the Avengers in the back of this car. It's groovy. It's like wow. We could just lay out together here. We'd be perfectly fine. And then they cut to the next page and it says early the next morning. And they cut out that entire scene of Bonds literally seducing. I mean, we see them have sex in the movie and all that's cut out entirely. <laughs> oh, the Countess Lacel. She didn't last long. No. And uh, you, 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 I'm sure you're familiar with what her sort of trivia, con- trivia mm, connection yeah, is yeah. to I the was, world of I James I wonder Bond. if you wanted me to bring that up or not. Go, or go you right ahead. Save it go right ahead. Yes, the, the actress who played Countess Lacel was the real life uh, wife of Pierce Brosnan. In fact, okay. I believe that's how Pierce Brosnan first met Kevin Broccoli on set. I think that's what set that ball rolling, to be honest with you. That's a whole weird thing of, like, I'm watching a guy that I will eventually play yes. down my wife. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, however it works. Uh, so bust then, that out at your next James Bond trivia night. Say, what what Bond movie was Pierce Brosnan first on set for? Oh, there you go. You know, right, those exactly. not in the know will be like, Goldeneye. And you'll be like, you dumb bastard. <laughs> I did. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. And then the, the final sequence you talk about when they when uh, and, uh, when Melina and Bond finally get together is that's where we get the title, where she strips down. And it's, a, it's actually a nice little silhouette panel. And she says, for your eyes only, darling. And that's the thing. And then there's we hear the, the, the sound of the prime minister. And luckily, they cut all that out from the movie. Where we actually <laughs> see the prime minister. And in the movie, there's this kind of horrible uh, stand-in for Margaret Thatcher. Uh, Mr. Bond. Hello, oh, Mr. Bond. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so they did right here. We just see the, 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 the words coming over the radio. And then the final panel is the two of them diving in the water together, skinny dipping, and it ends with Bond, Bond, and that's the end of the story. And uh, in my mind, that's where you start hearing the Sheena Easton music come up at the end again. Oh, which I think, in my personal life, bears knowing that's the first song that I ever called a radio station to request, and they played. Oh, wow. <laughs> Five-year-old Jared busted that one out. That's great. Hello, can you play this? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty much probably exactly what it sounded like. It's at the oh. behest of my brother. My brother's like, go call the radio station and ask him to play it. 
That's fantastic. And I was like, all right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it. I love that. I love that song completely unironically. And so I, I, I can't vouch and say that this is a great comic book. I really can't. But as an artifact of a movie that I loved, I saw it at the exact right moment, and it became one of my favorite mountain comics of all time because, again, it was it was a reminder of, oh, man, this awesome movie that I saw in the theater a couple of months ago. And then, it, as you say, eventually it would come to cable, and then I would get to see it a bunch more times after that. But for a couple of years, this was it. This was all I had was this second issue because, as, as we said, first issue doesn't exist. So I had this second one, and I just – I. It's like I know I'm seeing. I mean, this whole show is nostalgia, but this one is especially like it's not a great comic book. They did their best, but nevertheless, it doesn't matter. I love it so utterly, completely because it just it's it's an it's such a strange, weird artifact uh, of a movie that I just love from you know beginning to end. Yeah, I mean, if you have to take a essentially an hour, maybe slightly more of film and put it into was it twenty two pages, perhaps? Right, right. This is about as good as it can be. So, I mean, it's an excellent snapshot of the movie. It's an excellent snapshot of the time, like you said. So, yeah, absolutely. It's wonderful. I've probably owned three or four copies of number two over the years. <laughs> and I'll just let you deduce from that what you will. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. And I've always been fascinated by uh, newsstand distribution. You know, I mean, it's like it's such a strange thing of like that this newsstand got for your eyes only. Like, how did they get, you know, I mean, like. They would, you, how did this stuff ever arrive? Who chose these things? And I don't think I ever would have – I hardly ever saw Marvel movie adaptations at, at my regular uh, 7-Elevens at home. Uh, but, mm. but here it was you know, on sale in the Poconos, and I was like, oh, man, I can't wait. And I just I, I just loved it. I just completely loved it. And so, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great comic. And so I think that's kind of it. It's really all I have to say about it. I knew ever since I decided to do Mountain Comics – that I had to have you on, Jared, to talk about this one because you're the biggest Bond fan I know. Uh, and I was like, I have to do it with Jared. So I'm finally glad that we got around to doing it in season three. Definitely. Me too. I appreciate you having me on. And you know I'm your go-to guy for James Bond at any given moment. Yeah. Oh, love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. So awesome. Well, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, the best place to find me personally is at Yard Sale Artist. That's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. If you want to hear me running my mouth about some other things, check out the Longbox Crusade entire network of shows or if you like the james bond stuff check out the network called on her majesty's secret podcast and there i'm running my mouth about james bond on the regular all right uh of course uh if you want to follow we want to find back episodes of this show go to the website fireandwaterpodcast.com and you go to find the fw presents tab and there's mount comics is part of that part of that show's uh feed except this is the debut episode of season three the show will be back uh once a month for the summer and probably into the fall and maybe even the winter depending how many i can i can record uh, i'm very excited to bring the show back i love doing the show and it always you know the much like how the trip the mountain trips remind me of summer this show has become to remind me of summer because that's when i do it i do it in the <laughs> summer so i know that summer has arrived when i'm doing mountain comics again and of course uh you can uh follow us over the network over on twitter which is at, at fw podcast now before i sign off i have one last thing i want to talk to you about jared this is james bond Bring related it. all right because i tweeted something out a day ago and yes. you were very complimentary about it here's my idea okay here's my idea. <laughs> i'm with you i'm with you I rewatched Hot Fuzz again. I love Hot Fuzz. It's one of the greatest movies ever made. Yeah, absolutely. It's a perfect comedy. Yes. I love it. And anyone who hasn't seen it, it stars uh, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. It's an Edgar Wright movie. And it also features Timothy Dalton. 
as the main bad guy, uh, Mr. Skinner. And Mr. Skinner, and <laughs> he is unbelievably charming in this movie. I mean, he is off the charts charming. And they even talk about it on the commentary track where Simon Pegg says that he watched the movie with his sister, his wife, and his mother, three women of varying different ages. And he says all of them lean forward when Timothy Dalton's on the screen. <laughs> and, and he said that and, – and then Edgar Wright said when they were shooting the film, Dalton just walked through the town and he said he could just have the pick of the litter. They said just every woman was just like, oh, Timothy Dalton. He is hysterical in the movie. Mm-hmm. And like he's mean, he's he's great, he's a brilliant comic performance. Mm-hmm. I straight up think that since they are in the market for a new James Bond, after Daniel Craig packs it in after, after his fifth film, that they should forget trying to find a new Bond, give it back to Timothy Dalton, yes, and make it be the adventures of older. I don't give an F Bond. <laughs> yes. That is what never I want say to never say. Again-ish, yes. Like Connery did with Never Say Never Again. <laughs> I Absolutely. would love to see that. Oh, I'm on board, man. I, I mean, Timothy Dalton, he's a slasher of prices. Of prices, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and this, it goes hand in hand. I, I've spouted this idea about the time The Expendables came out. I was like, why don't they do a movie called Super Spies that has Connery, Lazenby, Dalton, at the time, more unfortunately, yeah, he's no longer yeah. with us. But put all the Bond actors in it, much like Expendables, but just make it a, a group of super spies. And I mean, you could put in Matt Damon from the Bourne thing. You know, you could grab a couple other spy spy characters like that, like they do Expendables. I think that's a wonderful idea. But bottom line, let's put Timothy Dalton as Bond somewhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I he got a real he got a raw deal. Uh, uh, my favorite, for, he's my favorite Bond. Oh, is down. he really? Wow. Okay. Yes. I mean, but he really, I, I don't love those movies, but I like them more now than I did when I saw them. But straight up, he got a raw deal. He really yes. did. He only got to do it twice. That's not mm-hmm. fair. I think you, you know, I think both those films again. I think they're they're better now. I think they've aged really well, and he deserved. It's because of the legal machinations that this huge gap got created. Between the last film and the next one, and then he eventually was like, all right, I don't want to do it anymore. So I would love for him to get a second bite at that apple and come back as super old, charming Bond. I I just – that's what I want. I mean – and then when he's done with it, you give it to a new guy after that. You know, I – that's – I think I think that would be like in this media – in this world of media where it's so hard to kind of like – pop through because there's just so much now mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. would be that would be such a like whoa they're giving it back to this other guy oh my god like that would that would be like a news story yes or or the other idea i had to bring him back was let's do a show on netflix let's do it in a 60s style oh. james bond animated feature oh. and he does the voice <laughs> pop pop that would be oh my god that would be so cool too oh man i like all these ideas all right let's so, do it let's get right. some capital all right we're gonna put that out there well we'll put that out into the universe come on tim give timothy I, dalton a gig of just James seriously Bonnet. if rob kelly can get the aqua movie aquaman movie made we can we can do this i know right we can do that <laughs> I mean, you made the aquaman movie let's be honest yeah we, we, we can get that done we can get this done good lord so yeah absolutely so all right, well, I'm glad you agree with me. I put that out there, and I was like, I don't know, does anyone think I'm nuts? And then, like, it got, like, retweeted, like, 20 times. Like, oh, good, all right. The people out there, they're on the same page as me. You're not crazy. Excellent. So cool. Well, anyway, thank you so much, Jared, for coming by. It's always uh, fun to talk to you, and I really appreciate you stopping by the cabin. Hey, thanks for having me here, man. I left you some gold, some diamonds, some pistachios, but no heroin. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, 
Thank goodness for that. I'm a little too young to be doing that. Maybe later. Okay, well, thanks, everybody, for listening. And until the next episode, we will see you later. Bye. Bye. Only I never knew